Thank you, Angela. What a wonderful reminder we have that we're bought with a price <laughs> through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not our own, are we? <laughs> and uh, we have the privilege of fellowship with one another through the blood of Christ. He broke down that middle barrier, and uh, we worship in spirit and truth today. Uh, we take the Word of God this morning and uh, open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a favorite passage of mine. My dad would repeatedly say these three words in verse 2. Preach the word. <laughs> so we read it together today. We listen to the Spirit of God speak to us through the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am all already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will always award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, I've enjoyed being in church today. Thank you for that enjoyment, that singing, and that uh, attention to one another. Your interest in one another is a part of what makes church helpful, isn't it? Uh, the, the time we spend in the lobby and in the pews and going back to Sunday school classes and all of that, that's important church time as well as what we do formally here in this auditorium. Our interaction with each other, the fact that we care about each other when we talk about what's going on in our lives, that sense of ownership of each other, that matters. Thanks for being a part of that. Uh, and I want to intentionally uh, tell you that um, I appreciate those of you who really come in every Sunday with the mindset that I'm not just coming in and looking for a seat, I'm coming in and looking for a person I can encourage or pray for or understand what they're going through a little more by virtue of the fact that I talk to them. I look for someone else. I'm not just interested in the, in the oh, come in and find a seat and sit down and let's get going. I'm not just here for that. I'm here, part of the reason, 
is because I'm interacting with other people who are together lifting our eyes from just ourselves and from our circumstances to the one who can, well, remedy our problem and solve our uh, solution, give solutions to our problems and all of those kinds of things. But the more we appreciate each other in our journey, the more we'll appreciate how the Lord intervenes in our lives. So thank you for coming with a focus on the Lord, and as you do that, that of course then tells you want to also focus on the people who are sitting around you. So thanks for being the church in that regard. Well, today we are reading, as Pete has just directed our attention, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This becomes then the last word on the church. As Paul writes to Timothy, as Paul is the mentor of Timothy, this young pastor, the church there in Ephesus, he's really giving him some instruction about how to lead the church. And as what we all know is, this will be the last words Paul writes before he dies. We're literally reading the last chapter of the last words that the Apostle Paul would write before he was executed for his belief, for his leadership in the church. He specifically is killed because of that. And so here's his last word to Timothy. Here's how to carry on. Here's what you need to be doing in church, for the church. This is what the church needs. If I've got one last breath, one last instruction before I die, the last thing I want people to hear me say is 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. These are his last words. Sometimes, have you ever come to the bedside of a loved one and you're hearing their last words before they pass on? We, we cling to those words, don't we? They, they seem very meaningful to us because it's the last time you get to tell her or she gets to tell you, I love you. Or whatever other words are being spoken there, those last words are meaningful words. And here, we're, we're literally hearing the Apostle Paul's last words to, yes, specifically to Timothy, but specifically to the church that Timothy would lead. Consequently, his last words to the church today, even to us. We're, we're listening to the Apostle Paul, uh, in some sense, whisper out his last words before he dies. Only he, you know, I hardly hear the Apostle Paul whispering. I hear him shouting from this passage of Scripture. Uh, with full voice, preach the word and uh, as he goes through the chapter. So the last word of church, our, our focus today is on the church. In this challenging chapters, as we've going through several challenging chapters now in this series of messages, we're thinking about the church. Interesting, just this week, because we're doing some renovation upstairs in the upstairs uh, portion of our building here. While we were gutting the building and taking everything out of there, and uh, then we had a professional company coming in and do the demolition of all the walls, all the ceiling, all the flooring, completely gutted, and they're building a wall up there that you can turn around and see. Uh, somebody found this shovel up in the attic, the tower up there, the cupola up there, 
and uh, apparently we had stored this shovel, my shovel, uh, up there um, for the last uh, nine years. This is the shovel we used when we broke ground out there in the yard in March uh, 2011 on our 80th anniversary. And, uh, we just celebrated our 89th anniversary last week. Well, uh, on our 80th anniversary Sunday, we broke ground. I still have the dirt on the shovel right there. And uh, I had taken this home, and I mean, I had, at home I had spray-painted it gold to try to make it look like a gold shovel. Man, it's still got a lot of dirt on it. Um, so there we were out there in six inches of snow. Do you, you guys remember that Sunday, nine years ago? <laughs> Six inches of snow, and I put the shovel down through the snow and <laughs> into the ground and unearthed a little bit of, of, gra of uh, the ground, and we broke ground for that building. We were building the church, literally, you know, a church building. And, um, you know, it took a lot of faith. It took a we prayed and prayed and gave and gave, and some of you are like Faith and me. We're still giving. <laughs> getting these, uh, giving extra, I mean, you know, getting these projects done that we've been talking about the last uh, few years, three years in our forward campaign. And so building the church is not only tangible and um, not only has an element of literal dirt to it, it's not, it's not just that. It's, um, it, it involves that. Eventually you do have to build a building in order to meet in it. But this passage of Scripture is about how the church is to operate and what you do when you build the building and people do come and you gather together. What are you to do? What's involved in this? It was so important. This is the last thing he said, essentially, before the, the Lord called him home and being executed. The Apostle Paul said, I want to charge you, Timothy, this last charge I get to give to you, and in proxy, the last charge I give to the church that will follow down through the centuries, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord. This sounds formal, doesn't it? Wow, I mean, it's like he's really taking this seriously. I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he he prefaces what he's about to say by uh, kind of indicating, wow, is this important or what? I'm going to give you a charge in the very presence of God and Jesus Christ who died and rose again, who is alive, and he's saying, who is to judge the living and the dead? Then, whoa, that wakes us up and sobers us a little bit. And by his appearing and his kingdom... So given all of those sober words, then he gives his instructions about if you'll do this, you'll be the ideal church. Now, wouldn't it be grand to attend the ideal church? Wouldn't that be wonderful to get to go to the ideal church every Sunday? What makes a church ideal? Is it the music? We've just had a spectacular music service, part of our service. Uh, folks work hours after hours after hours honing those skills, really lifelong skills, to be able to play the piano or an instrument or something, or 
Is it the music that makes church grand, glorious, ideal? The music? Is it the sound system? We've just invested quite a bit of money on a, a brand new sound technical booth back there. We've given them every tool known to man in order that you might hear this morning. Incredible. Is, is the sound system what makes a church ideal? Is it the architecture? The, the actual shape and grandeur of the building? You know, there's a lot of... Um, work that has gone into the architecture of church buildings through the centuries the very shape of a steeple the shape of the architect the the meeting rooms it's gone through a lot of changes through the generations but is it the architecture whether it's gothic architecture or contemporary arch is that what makes the church ideal is it uh the decorations you know the 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 kind of stained glass in certain churches that decorates? Is it the floral arrangements? Is it the, um, is that? Oh, is that's what sets the church apart. Oh, you just can't believe how ideal my church is. Man, it's decorated to the hilt. Is that it? Is it the design of the building, the design so that it flows well, the traffic comes in and out, and it flows just, uh, uh, you know, and uh, is it the design, is it the programs that a church establishes? Is it the activities that they sponsor? Is it the budget? Man, they've got money to throw to every program. Is it the budget that makes it ideal? Is it how popular the church is? In the community, is it the size of the church? Growing up, I went to a big church growing up. Uh, in at um, For three years, Faith and I served at Southgate Baptist Church in Scottsboro, Alabama, a rather small, maybe small town little church. And uh, before coming here, we were uh, ministers uh, at, uh, or I was a youth and music pastor at Pennsville Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania, kind of a medium, I don't know, 800 or so church-sized church before coming here to this church. I've been involved in a variety of sizes of churches. The church I grew up in was a church of about 10,000 people every Sunday morning. So I've been in big and small <laughs> uh, situations. What is it about the size of a church that makes us think that it's the ideal church because it has a certain size? What about the staff of the church? Does it have one pastor or two pastors or three pastors or 20 pastors? Or is it the website that makes the church so good? We put a lot of energy and effort into websites these days. Or is it the social media platform, the Facebook page? Is that what draws people to the church to make it ideal? Or the bulletin that you're holding in your hand, is that what makes it ideal? Or the coffee that is served, the difference between name brand coffee or generic coffee? Um, is it the furniture you're sitting on? What about the difference between a, a metal chair and a padded pew? Is that what makes it ideal? Or the schedule, whether, whether it's a one service or two services or three services, Early service, late service, evening service? Is it, um, 
the culture of the church, casual or formal? Is it the convenience, how closely uh, it is located to your own house? Is it the safety? We actually have a safety team at our church, as almost all churches have these days. Is it the safety that makes it ideal? Is it the methods that the church uses in order to get people? In other words, the methodology. You could go down through a very long list asking, what is it that makes a church ideal? Let me just say this. Um, uh, a lot of people think, well, it really all comes down to the pastor. Well, if it takes a handsome, witty, entertaining, rich guy with a killer smile to be the ideal church, this church is in trouble. Because you don't have a pastor that's handsome, witty, entertaining, rich guy with a killer smile. All you've got's me. So with that depressing thought, let's press on. According to Paul, the ideal church and its leadership offers four things. And here's what he admonished Paul, uh, was admonishing Timothy to provide for the church in Ephesus. Pastor Timothy, here's what's important. The ideal church offers these four things. Preaching, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Those four things. Now, if you are looking at a list of what makes a church great, what makes a church ideal, what makes the kind of church that everybody wants to come to, are those the four things you would list? <laughs> Preaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting. We might back off a bit and say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Paul should run those ideas by a focus group, and uh, he should consult with the marketing team about those because those are not the kinds of things that build a church in 2020. Wait a minute here. He doesn't understand the marketplace in trying to attract people to a church. He's completely old-fashioned. He absolutely doesn't understand what it takes to build a church in today's contemporary society. Well, you might argue that. But we have the inspired Word of God here, and it tells us that the ideal church offers these four things. Let's think about them just momentarily. First of all, preach the Word. Keruso is the word preach. In Greek, that word is the word that simply meant to herald or to announce something. A herald, that person, would go from city to city to city and he'd have a formal announcement. Let's just say it was from the king or from, you know, whoever was in charge. And he would go from city to city to city and he'd say, let me give you the announcement. Back then, they couldn't just you know, put it out on Twitter and uh, expect that everybody would know. He literally got on a horse and traveled from city to city to city and unrolled the scroll and said, hear ye, hear ye. And he would herald, he would preach the announcement. That's the word that's being used here. Herald the announcement. 
gather everybody together, unroll the scroll, and yell it out. You know, let everybody hear and see. This is the official proclamation. That's the word, and that's how it was commonly used as a, an announcement, a, a proclamation for all to see and hear. Kind of like Noah. It says that he was a heralder, an announcer, the word is literally, a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. New Testament, looking back to the Old Testament. Oh, Noah, before the flood, what was his job? Well, his job was to build a boat. Well, yes, but his day job was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, this is what God expects of us. And since we're all messing it up here, he's got this boat. He's got a rescue plan. You had better get in the rescue plan. That's what Noah's job was. A, an announcer, a preacher. Kind of like Jonah. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Matthew chapter 12 says they repented at the preaching of Jonah, the heralding, the announcing of Jonah. And it was a remarkable citywide revival. Something like John the Baptist, when he would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word there is that he would proclaim, Caruso, preach, announce the word that God had given. That's what's being described here. Timothy, announce the gospel. Announce the word. And when he's speaking about the word, what he's essentially saying is preach it from Genesis to what will eventually be Revelation. <laughs> preach the word. So what we have is an announcement of theology. The whole of the Bible, biblical theology. Don't neglect one portion of it. Don't just pick and choose your favorite little parts. Don't just emphasize one particular theme. Preach the word. Let that be the focus of your gatherings. Let the theology that the Bible presents, let that be what you dwell on. Let that be the thing that attracts you to come together, the opportunity to hear the word of God taught and proclaimed. Preach the word, not merely man's ideas, not just a clever psychology or philosophy of man. Don't reduce your proclamation merely to your thoughts. Announce my thoughts. <laughs> God is essentially saying the ideal church is the church where you will go, where people will read from and study and give attention to the word I have given you, the word of God. When Paul was talking to Timothy about the word, it was commonly understood among the New Testament church that the word meant the word of God, all of it. So put the Old Testament in context and bring it into the new and show that Jesus is the fulfillment of it and preach the fact that he's alive, he rose from the dead, and that he's coming again. 
preach the whole story. Let the world know that they're sinners, that there is a rescue, there's a Savior for our sin. Preach the word, and it will be doctrinal, it will be theological, and it will be practical. From the very beginning to the very end of it, preach the word. So the very thing you're looking for in the ideal church is not suggestions to ponder, but commands to do. Preach the word. And secondly, the ideal church offers reproof. In other words, to reprove with the evidence of the word of God. The word uh, reprove there is the sense of being able to give the evidence for what has just been announced. We might call that the difference between the theology and this might be the theology and the apologetics that comes from offering the proof of what you're saying. There is a God. God has created us. God holds us accountable to himself. And he's made a way by which we can stand before him in his own righteousness. Well, that doctrine, that theology has all kinds of evidential truths all through the scripture. So give the sense of it. Apologetics, of course, is not to apologize for the word. The meaning of the word apologetics is that you'd simply give the argumentation, the logic by which you come to the conclusions that you come to. Reprove the wrong thinking of the world with the evidence of the word of God. Let it give the background, the meaning, the logic of the gospel. And so give it truly that the virgin birth is really defensible from the truth of God's word. Not that it can be explained scientifically, but that it can be explained biblically. That which is impossible is possible as taught in the word of God. The bodily resurrection of Christ is, of course, impossible. What you're not looking for there is scientific evidence that he rose. You're looking for evidence that comes from the scriptures that that's what eyewitnesses said actually happened and the word of God requires for our salvation. The deity of Christ. No, it doesn't make sense that Jesus could be fully human and fully God, but that's the evidence of what the word of God teaches and that Jesus will return one day. You mean that he's alive and he's actually coming back? Yes, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. So you have all kinds of religions and the apologetics would have to say, and you're going to have to make a decision. Either the Jehovah's Witnesses are right or wrong. See, either the Unitarians are right or wrong. See, Roman Catholicism in their theology is either right or wrong. And this reproof brings us to the place that we label things right and wrong. (laughs) And you have to make a choice. Preaching the word brings us to conclusions. It isn't just theory out there. It's conclusions that we own in here. 
in here, in here. <laughs> Reprove with the evidence of the word of God. And then rebuke, it says. Rebuke when, you've, when you're preaching the word. In the same sense, you're also reproving with the word. And then using the word, you're also rebuking us when we find that we are not in line with what it says to do. What does a coach do for, let's just say, the baseball team? The, base, the baseball coach is watching the player standing at the, in the batter's box and taking a swing. And the coach from the sideline is looking at, look at that. He's pulling his head back. No wonder he's not hitting the ball. He's pulling. So the coach walks up. Time out, referee. Come, come here, coach. You're, you're pulling your, you're, you're doing this. Don't jerk your head up. Keep your head. Watch the ball come. If you watch it all the way down to your bat, you have a whole lot better chance of getting. What's the coach doing? Correcting, rebuking, watching the way he's putting into practice what he's done. And look, you're, oh, look, you're standing way too far back in the box. Take a step up and you're going to do better. So the coach is correcting what he sees. And so when you come to church and the word of God is preached faithfully, there's a sense of rebuke that comes because you're standing too far back in the box. Because you've been taking your head, uh, your eye off the ball. You've been jerking your head back because you've been doing something wrong, right? Who, who isn't doing something wrong? Nobody's batting 100. No, nobody's batting a thousand. No, nobody's hitting the ball every time. So we're all swinging and missing occasionally. So here's the rebuke that comes from the word of God that corrects my thinking. It corrects my actions. And I want to submissively say, thanks, coach. Really appreciate you pointing that out to me. Is that what all the players say? <laughs> Sometimes we chafe under the correction. Because after all, nobody wants to be corrected. We all like to think we've got it just fine. We're, we'll be just fine. Leave me alone. That's why a lot of people don't come to church because they don't want to be corrected, right? In fact, they got corrected a time or two or three, and they said, well, I, I just didn't rake my leaves as to listen to that guy correct me. You know, I want to stay back in the box. I don't want to take a step forward in the box. Who does he think he is telling me to keep my eye on the ball? Who, who knows if he keeps his eye on the ball or not? He's over there on the bench. I'm the one standing up here at the plate. We've all got a good excuse, don't we? We can all rationalize why we're not going to listen to that rebuke, that correction. Uh, who does he think? Did he hit the ball every time when he was a player? No, of course he didn't. I mean, we can... We can find a hundred reasons why we're not going to listen to the rebuke of God's word. Because we, you know, the focus now becomes who the coach is and whether I like the coach or not or whether or not I really am going to listen to what he has to say. Rather than the evaluation of what the Bible says, we want the, the, I, the, the focus to be upon whether or not the coach came out and told me in just the right time. Well, if you'd have told me earlier, if you'd have, in other words, a, a, a really ma 
mature Christian would appreciate an honest assessment of where they are and would welcome any sense of correction that could be coming to help me do better. A, a mature Christian would welcome that. And it's a sense of confrontation, isn't it? I'm confronted with the word of God. It, it, it show, it's like a mirror. It shows me. What do players often do in today's modern athletics? They all watch films of themselves. If it's football, if it's baseball, it's whatever. They, we, we watch ourselves do it, and we, and we say, oh, look. Look how I was jerking my head back. I've really done and I can see myself do it. That's the best correction is that, well, the Word of God is that mirror that shows us where we've had that bad attitude or that sense of stinginess or that unkindness, that uh, stubborn streak that runs so prevalently through my personality. It's that sense of confrontation of God's Word. The ideal church will be the kind of church that steps on your... Okay, you said it. I know I led you in it, but you, you said it. <laughs> and then number four, there's that, that exhortation. And it says here to exhort with complete patience and teaching. This, of course, would be like application. And if we're going to keep the uh, athletic analogy going, uh, maybe this is kind of like the cheerleaders over here on the sidelines. Raw, 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 team. Go, 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 team. You can do it. You can do it. Raw, 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 team. Okay, I never was a cheerleader. Um, so, um, uh, encouraging us that we can do it. You know, there's this sense of patiently coming alongside and, and okay, we, we, you know, we corrected your batting stance. Now let's correct your fielding. You know, the ball went through your legs. If you've got to get the glove all the way down to the ground, right? Get your glove down. You can always come up a little bit easier than you can go down. So start with a down position. And then if you've got to come up to get it. So now we're coaching and we're coaching with patience because you've got to do that over and over and over again. And it's with this sense of I want it to get better. You're teaching. There's this application of the word of God. So when it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, okay, I, I want to correct that. So I'm asking somebody, hold me accountable. If you hear me, do that. Correct me. Help me give application to this command I read in God's word. And I see the application of it. So I want to revere God. I want to so worship him in my everyday life that even when I'm mad, even when I'm bitter, even when I'm disappointed, and I don't take the name of the Lord in vain because I so revere him and love him and honor him. Not even uh, Christian cussing, slang words. I want to so revere the Lord, I would not do that. In other words, that sort of thing. I want to give it that sense, and I want to encourage you to do it. So till the job is done, 
and done right. Till the job is done, that's patience. And done right, that's teaching. Till the job is done, and till the job is done right, let's exhort one another. Now, we give opportunity for that in this setting right here when we're preaching the word. We also give opportunity for that in Sunday school setting, right? There's opportunity in Sunday school to do all of these. Preach, reprove, rebuke, exhort, all of that in all of our settings, whether it's a small group setting or larger group setting. All of these are to be a part of what it means to be the ideal church. The ideal church may offer coffee and refreshments. The ideal church may offer uh, pads on the pews. The ideal church may offer a nice sound system. It may offer a new extended wing for education and uh, uh, administration. It may offer a gymnasium. It may offer stained glass windows. It may offer a steeple. But these four things are essential. Right? The ideal church, or church offers these four things. And what this all comes down to, if you were to summarize it all, you'd say these four things come down to evangelism, and discipleship. <laughs> That's what the church is about. And the church does evangelism and discipleship in the preaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting model that Paul gives Timothy. Evangelism and discipleship. So the ideal church offers those things. Then the ideal church anticipates a certain response from preaching, rebuking, exhorting. What will the response be? Well, let's find out. Let's read in verse 3. For the time will come when, if you're an ideal church, this is what will happen. The time will come when the ideal church, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wait a minute. You would think that if the ideal church did the ideal things, the ideal result would be that the church would prosper and be successful and be well accepted in the community. Isn't that what we would think? The ideal church should anticipate disdain. They will not endure sound teaching. The ideal church should anticipate disinformation. The teachers of false information. <laughs> they will have teachers having itching ears accumulating to themselves, teachers that suit their own passion. You can anticipate disagreement. They will turn away from listening to the truth. And you can anticipate disregard for what you're trying to do. They will wander off into myths. Oh, wow. That sounds promising, doesn't it? Disdain, disinformation, disagreement, disregard for what you're trying to do. <laughs> Evidently, popularity is not the goal. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, churches 
300 shouldn't try to be a church of 400. That doesn't mean that a church of 10,000 shouldn't try to be a church of 12,000. It doesn't mean that we should always want to be smaller and smaller and smaller, more and more hated. But it does clue us in to the fact that broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go, but narrow is the way that leads to salvation. It should clue us into that, doesn't it? Christ will build his church. But success, as we commonly think of it, will ultimately be evaluated from an eternal perspective, not merely by the short-sighted measure of current popularity. A painless ministry is a shallow and fruitless ministry. So we should anticipate the fact that this might be tough going. The ideal church needs certain things as we complete this section of this chapter. The ideal church needs, number one, leadership like Timothy. Here's what it says. As for you, and now Paul's talking specifically to Timothy in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure sufferings, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Here's what the ideal church needs from leadership like Timothy. Currently, leadership still today. It needs level-headedness, which is what sober-minded means. Level-headedness, it means courage, endure suffering. It means to be evangelistic, do the work of an evangelist. And then it means to be faithful at it, fulfill your ministry, complete it, do it till it's done. Level-headed, courageous, evangelistic, faithful ministry. That's what the church, ideal church needs from its leadership. From me, from the deacon board, from those who are teaching, from those who are leaders, that's what the church needs from its leadership. What does it need from its membership? Well, in verses 5 through 6, Paul describes himself as a part of the body of Christ. And so the ideal church needs from its membership, like the Apostle Paul, that we would be like him. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. In other words, I am fully committed. I am like the drink offering that is fully poured out unto the Lord, fully committed and battle-tested. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not to me only, but to every other person sitting at Calvary Baptist Church in Sandusky, Ohio in 2020, the Bible says. Not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So when leadership and membership are found faithful, there are appropriate eternal rewards. It's called the crown of righteousness. You will be rewarded for all eternity for the way you faithfully serve and live for the Lord. You will be. Paul will be and you will be. All those who love his appearing and are fully committed and battle-tested. Spurgeon put it this way. There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers 
here below. And that puts into perspective what we can expect from the world and yet what we're going to give them by way of faithful following Christ. So our next steps would be what? Well, ponder these questions, would you please? How important is church to you personally today? How important would you say church is? The building, yes, of course, it's a place where the church meets. But how important is the church? The very fact that you're here and you even set your alarm early to get here on a day when you had to set your alarm, I mean, that says a lot about how important the church is to you. What investment are you making in your church ministry? Meager or generous investment? If every church attender was just like you, would this be an ideal church today? If every member was just like you, attending like you attend, giving like you give, praying like you pray, witnessing like you witness, faithful to their spouse like you are, raise their kids like you raise your kids, if every attender was just like you, would this be the ideal church today? Well, we would love to welcome you to Christ's church and invite you to help it to be healthy and vibrant for him. But it starts here. Repent of your sin and receive Christ's payment for your sin and do it today. Then engage in the fight, join in the race, keep the faith, and let's do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's take a moment to ponder our response to the Lord today, to his word as we've read it, really, truly read it. This were Paul's last words. Take those to be terrifically important words, inspired of the Holy Spirit, wanting to help the church be all that it should be. And we're still wanting to be an ideal church in 2020 today, all the way here in Ohio. So what can we do to make the adjustments as our coach, the Holy Spirit, is correcting us and reproving and exhorting us? What adjustments might we make to make this an ideal church with ideal believers and followers of Christ? Lord, help us to... Uh, receive instruction, and to welcome it, and to do it. And whatever adjustments are made in the box, so to speak, Lord, help us to keep our eye on the goal, uh, not be distracted by so much else in this life that's temporal. May we really keep focused on